Hey folks, welcome to the podcast. I've had Ben Vaughn on the program a couple times prior to this, uh, but he's never done a performance, and I insisted that if he was going to be on again, he had to perform, and I'm so pleased that he did, because uh, you'll hear some interview, and you'll hear a few songs performed, uh, just him, and I think the songs came out great, and, and really just perfect for this kind of setting, and you know, there was a few topics I'd never talked to Ben, and we talked about those, and we talked about how he how he is what he is. He's a guy who just music flows through his head, through his blood, through his veins, through his heart, uh, 24 hours a day, and always has since he was a little kid. So we sort of got to the bottom of all that, where it comes from, where, how he deals with it. Uh, yeah, I thought it was super interesting. So uh, this is one of my favorite songwriters, super interesting guy, super nice guy, and uh, a little bit unusual. So I think you'll enjoy it. It's me, Conversation and performance with Ben Vaughn. Okay, there is Gotta See Jane from Ben Vaughn's uh, brand new EP. Just came out yesterday. It's called Interpretations. He's here to talk about it, maybe play some songs for us live. You are a musician, a performer, record producer, TV music making guy, syndicated radio host, a songwriter, brand new record. Tell me about that song. Where did it come from? Oh, man, I heard it back when it came out in 1970 by Ardeen Taylor, and uh, it kind of came and went. It really was it was not a hit in America. He had a hit shortly after that with Indiana Wants Me, which is a soft rock classic with a police siren in it, which is amazing because you're allegedly not allowed to play police sirens on the radio mm. because people will confuse it with a real police siren and pull their car over. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he had a hit with a song with a police siren in it. Uh, but before that, he put out Gotta See Jane, and I've been really fascinated with that song forever. I always thought it should be sped up, and uh, in the tradition of Along Comes Mary and Subterranean Homesick Blues, just shoving as many lyrics in there as you can at a fast tempo. I, I, that's al- That has always appealed to me. Chuck Berry with uh, Too Much Monkey Business, you know. So I decided to take that song and speed it up and then back it off just enough so I could get the lyrics in. Gotcha. Uh, Pick some really interesting songs to cover, and you are a really prolific songwriter, and we'll get to that. But, and I think, you know, I'm a music loving guy. I got a lot of records, and I did not know most of these songs. I, I knew some of them, and some of them were kind of in the deep recesses of my brains, but that was one totally not on my radar. Did you purposely try to pick songs that kind of fell through the cracks? Well, I picked songs that I thought need to be heard. You know, and I, I, yeah, they fell through the cracks, but, you know, sharing songs that you like with other people, that's what you do on your show. You, you like a record, you immediately want to share it with people. And I've always been that way. And as an artist, I haven't done it that much because I'm, I'm a songwriter. I'm, I'm distracted with my own writing. Mm. But, um, yeah, these songs, they're, they're, they're really great, high quality songs. And for whatever reason, at least in America, nobody knows about them. 
until now. I was reading through your publicity material, and there's this uh, line about you being a weird kid that I thought was interesting, and I'm going to read it uh, to everybody. I could be in a pizzeria or at a gas station or at home in my bedroom. It didn't matter. If a well-crafted song came on, I would stop everything and pick it apart. Lyric, melody, everything. I gained a reputation as a weird kid, but it was worth it. The education was there for the taking. It didn't matter who was around. So that's a literal, true example from your life? Oh, completely, yeah. Uh, I would disappear. Like, I would be with people, and all of a sudden, they're like, where's Ben? And and it was me listening to Roger Miller and picking apart his lyrics. I mean, I, it happened naturally from the time I first heard music. I would hear it and um, pick out the instruments and uh, follow the lyrics. And I remember the first song, you know, I grew up in uh, in the Philadelphia area, so Doo-Wop and uh, Cameo Parkway were, you know, the first things I heard. And one song, uh, Silhouettes by the Rays, was still on the radio back then. And I remember that's the first song I ever picked apart because it has a surprise ending. The third verse, he goes to the house and it's the wrong house. So the whole verse one and verse two are this paranoid picture in his mind that his girl is cheating on him. And then he realizes he's at the wrong house in the third verse. And I thought, wow, you know, the power of storytelling. And of course, I was probably you know, sitting in school at that time, daydreaming about that, and, and a teacher yelled at me because I was just so transported by hmm. what I heard. I, I, I was just, uh, it was a vortex. I couldn't resist it, really. I think this is super interesting, and I want to just drill down for one sec. Did anyone show you this or suggest this to you, or it was just something you just started doing? I just started doing it. I, yeah. I don't know why my antenna was up, you know. I, I have no idea. Well, any teachers or anybody who said, hey, this is kind of an interesting gift this kid has, uh, was there an upside or was it, was it only people thinking you were crazy? That was the opposite. They thought that I was a slow learner, actually, in school because I was so distracted by music. They thought something was wrong with me. Uh, so it actually, but I didn't care. The thing is, I didn't care because I love music so much. It didn't matter to me whether anyone understood me or not. Mm. I was uh, just so into it, you know. Were your folks on board? No, no, uh, not at all. Uh, my grades went down uh, the minute the Beatles were on Ed Sullivan. And, uh, and, and it was because of rock and roll that my grades went down. My dad made the right connection. He said, this rock and roll stuff is juvenile delinquent music, and your grades went down the minute you really got into this. And so I wasn't even allowed to have a guitar in my house until my grades got better, which never happened. <laughs> so I learned how to play guitar at a friend's house on the yeah. side. I remember my, my dad was amazed when he heard me play guitar. Like, instead of being happy, like, wow, you really play guitar well. He was like, hey, how did you learn how to do that? <laughs> <laughs> You've been cheating on me, yeah. Uh, you exactly, know, I, around, behind his back. <laughs> you did a, a, some covers for us for the series of uh, Super Hits of the 70s CDs we made for the fundraising here. And uh, I remember talking with you about how you had this ability to sort of find the song hidden within the song. It's, do, you, do, you, do you agree with that? And do you think that is a sort of a unique talent you have? Well, that was your description. Actually, when I did Hitchin' a Ride for your collection, you said, wow, you found a song within the song, which I thought was a, an interesting way of, of describing it. Yeah, well, I hear the song, I, I can separate, well, I guess we all can do this. I'm not really that unusual in this sense, but 
I can separate the production and the arrangement from the actual song. You know, they, they exist. A great song should be able to, ex- to succeed with any arrangement or no arrangement. Mm. You know, and uh, Hitchin' a Ride to me always sounded like it could have been a folk song almost. But the record itself has all, all the groovy production stuff, you know. Yeah, I agree. Some songs do come down to you can kind of imagine a person with a guitar in their kitchen late at night trying not to wake everybody up and writing this song. Even though the record may sound nothing like that, you can kind of hear how maybe it just boils down to that. And I love uh, those kind of songs. Although there are, you know, there's no, there's no, as long as the song turns out good, there's no bad way to write a good song. So we've established that you are this guy who does all kinds of stuff with music. And I think now we're kind of seeing a link of where how that person evolved. One of the things you do is this radio show called The Many Moods of Ben Vaughn. Where can folks hear it? And are you a guy with a million records? I, I think a million might be an exaggeration. I have a lot of records, uh, 45s, albums, uh, 8-track tapes. I play 8-track tapes on my show because somebody has to. <laughs> well, I'm on 28 terrestrial radio stations right now and uh, also the podcast is really popular a lot of touring bands download my podcast and listen to it and i get uh, a lot of emails and uh, messages from touring musicians because i'm all over the place as far as what i like nina simone merle haggard the stooges you know garage rock you know french pop music i'm you know i'm just you know kind of obsessed with all music i'm a lawrence walk fan you know like and not not ironically <laughs> and uh the show is uh available wherever you find podcasts i mean it's very easy to find it's everywhere and uh it's really it's really been a great thing because when i first started listening to music when i hear a great song the first my first impulse is who can i play this for you know who can i play this for and i'll think of a person and i'll play it for him because i can't believe that i've discovered it and I want other people to hear it immediately. So the show has been really great for me. It's a, it, like like your show. This outlet is phenomenal, really. Yeah. Uh, I guess I should mention that folks can get information about all of this stuff we're talking about at benvaughn.org, B-E-N-V-A-U-G-H-N dot O-R-G. So, okay, so this is an EP. It's called Interpretations, and it is a, a covers just came out yesterday but you are a great songwriter and uh we've heard some of your songs throughout the show uh, this today and uh you have a real particular point of view and you were able to sort of fold this lifelong love and studiousness almost about music into your own thing you know it's not just rehashing stuff it's definitely filtered through the ben vaughn uh machine uh so some of your earliest stuff was getting songs to this band called the skeletons from springfield missouri kind of a legendary band a little bit of a musician's favorite band kind of a band i don't know if we've ever talked about that but tell i'm i know lou passed away recently tell me about how you started to get songs to them and what happened? Wow, it's an interesting story, and it starts with Brinsley Shores, if you can believe that. Um, I was a huge Brinsley Shores fan in the 70s, uh, which was a lonely pursuit in America. I was the only one, the only person I knew that was really into them. And I was at a record store in Philadelphia 
looking for Brinsley's albums, imports, and the woman who worked there said, oh my God, you too? And I go, what do you mean? She goes, oh, my best friend in Washington, D.C. is a Brinsley Schwartz fanatic. I got to put you in touch. So Bruce Rosenstein is his name, and he had a mail order record company. And he, uh, I was working as a paste-up artist at the time, uh, the night shift uh, as a paste-up artist. And I started doing graphics for him, and he started the label and reissued Double Shot of My Baby's Love by the original Symptoms, which is one of the names that the Skeletons and the Morels went by. That's why nobody knows who they are, because they kept changing their name. <laughs> Not a good business plan. <laughs> but... Uh, I did the uh, sleeve, the 45 sleeve for it, and the Skeletons played in New York at the Peppermint Lounge, and I went up. It was the first time I was ever on a guest list. I drove up in my Rambler in the middle of winter with no heat, and I went there to see them play, and I introduced myself, and they loved the artwork I did, and they asked me what else I'd do, and I kind of just you know, sheepishly said, well, I'm you know, I'm actually a songwriter because I was writing songs, but I wasn't showing them to anyone. You know, I wasn't sure if they were any good. I was working day jobs and um, they said, send us a cassette tape of your songs because we don't we're too lazy to write. We don't really like writing songs. So send <laughs> send us a cassette. So I did. I put 10 songs on a cassette and I sent it to Lou Whitney. And he called me up and said, we just worked up five of them. The audiences love them. Send more. And they ended up kind of being a Ben Vaughn cover band, which was the in Springfield, Missouri, or you know, in all the places they played in the Midwest. And uh, that led to uh, Ira Kaplan when he was booking Folk City to book me for a gig because he was in love with the Morels, the Morels Skeletons Symptoms Gang. And that, that started my career because Marshall Crenshaw was at that first show. And that's how, uh, I'm sorry, but so is Brenda Lee. That's how he ended up recording that. Amazing. That's an amazing story. Yeah, I, I, I do think that whole, almost like an anti-show-off-ness about that scene in Springfield. And, and in some ways, maybe that's why they never uh, became as well-known as maybe they should have, considering the, the amount of great taste and fun records they made. Well, we're talking about you as a songwriter. You've got your guitar handy. Would you play us one of your original songs? Sure. Um, What's your choice? Well, an up-tempo thing would be nice. Um, this is called Wayne Fontana Was Wrong. This is a recent song from my last record. And the idea came to me. I was at Whole Foods doing some shopping and the game of love, the game of love came on and he's, and I'm, and I, you know, I'm older now. And I, and I thought, you know, he's got it all wrong. Love is not a game. That's definitely not a game. And then it all came to me by the time I got to the checkout line, I had the whole first verse written. <laughs> it was just Wayne Fontana was wrong. It had a rhythm to it and it, and it needed to be, it needed to be done. So I wrote it. You, you had to, do. all right, folks, here it is. Uh, ben Vaughn singing Wayne Fontana was wrong. Wayne Fontana was wrong Wayne Fontana was wrong Love ain't a game You can play all day long Even though I love his song Wayne Fontana was wrong When you look her in the eye 
don't be shy You don't need no secret sign Just say what's on your mind And if you do True love will come to you That's why I'm telling you that Wayne Fontana was wrong He was wrong Wayne Fontana was wrong So wrong Love ain't a game You can play all day long Those were the background vocals Even though I love his song Wayne Fontana was wrong Solo to hide the love you feel inside just wear it on your sleeve so she can see it and believe if you lay it on the line she'll be yours in time I know I'm repeating myself but Wayne Fontana was wrong he was wrong Wayne Fontana was wrong so wrong love ain't a game play all day long no even though i love his song Wayne fontana was wrong he 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 was wrong so 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 wrong The sound of one hand clapping there, Ben Vaughn, live here on the program. That sounds fantastic. You've got it handy. Can you play us one more? What 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 do you got? What I want to play is uh, what's now considered my signature song, which is a surprise to me because I wrote it about 40 years ago. It's called Too Sensitive for This World. And a band called Deer Tick, your audience is probably familiar with them. They recorded it on their last record, and they just came through L.A., and they had me come up on stage with them at the Greek Theater to perform it, which was a thrill for me because I'm a huge, huge Neil Diamond fan. So there I was on this, at the same place where Hot August Nights was recorded on that very stage. And this song, it, it, it's, a, it's an interesting song because I wrote it right after my best friend died back about 40 years ago. And I was in that state in grief. There's that, there's that moment where... Life has no meaning. You just can't find meaning of, uh, in anything. And it, 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 luckily it passes and you're okay again. But it's, you know, I wrote this when I was in that state, which is a strange state to write a song in, but I did. And uh, so it's kind of placed right in there. And, and um, a lot of people love it. I kind of feel like it's a song that's maybe bigger than me. Like I, I almost didn't write it or something, but um, it's a it's very popular with uh, the Deer Tick crowd. They sing along to it every time they play it. And uh, I'm gonna do it now. Every day starts with a broken heart. I must be too sensitive 
Just make me cry. I must be too sensitive for this world. I don't think I can last until these bad times pass. I must be too sensitive for this world. selfish place and life is such an awful fate it's a wonder mm, it's a wonder it's a wonder anyone survives I must be too sensitive for this world I gotta be too sensitive for this world. Sing it one time. Too sensitive for this world. Sing it two times. Too sensitive for this world. Sing it for your friends. Too sensitive for this world. Sing it for your friends again. Too sensitive for this world. That's amazing. Don't you think that there's something very special? Like you can think your song is good and and your friends can think it's good, but when someone covers your song, it's kind of nice to have that in- independent validation that it, that it's reaching people. Yeah, it's it's proof that you're communicating um successfully right i mean the i mean the idea of songwriting for me like i fell in love with my, my favorite songwriters are like roger miller and john d Loudermilk, mose allison uh chuck berry you know uh lyric writers where the, you're they're communicating so clearly and poetically but you get what they're saying you know and um i always you know when i was a kid i had trouble communicating because a lot of times when i would talk i didn't make sense when I talk, because I was so inside my own head, and uh, I, I wanted to really clearly be able to communicate ideas, and music, you know, was the outlet for me for that. And when somebody hears one of my songs and covers it, it's proof that I'm on the right track, I guess. Yeah. As far as uh, being able to communicate clearly, an idea from you know from me to another person. 
Yeah, absolutely. I, I don't know where you spend most of your time these days. I mean, I know you've got strong connections to the South Jersey, Philly area, and I know you've spent a lot of time in L.A. and done work there, but I see a lot of photos of your life in what looks like like where they tested atomic bombs or something. Where where are the... <laughs> Where are are they, you? They filmed they 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 filmed Oppenheimer in my backyard. Yeah. <laughs> no, uh, I have a house in the Mojave Desert, um, east of Twenty Nine Palms, in a town called. It's not even a town, really. It's a section of the desert called Wonder Valley. I've had that house for twenty five years now, and I have an apartment in Santa Monica near the beach, and I go back and forth between the two places. And I'm in Philly a lot because that's my background, Philly, South Jersey. And, you know, I was really good friends with uh, the Geeter with the Heater, Jerry Blavitt, a, uh, you know, a legend in the Philadelphia area. And so I would go back and forth a lot. Even after my mom and dad passed on, I would still go back because the Geeter was my family, you know. <laughs> and we were really good friends. And he passed away back in January. And it's a huge deal in Philadelphia right now. So I've been going back and forth a lot for tributes they named a street after him and so i was there for that and uh, so that, that's pretty much my you know my path of travel and i go to spain a lot and tour and hang out too because i they love records, you there yeah yeah well when my records came out you know i got a record deal in 1986 and uh not much ever happened in america i i toured constantly and i stopped at every college radio station and i was you know everywhere but it didn't click for whatever reason. But in Europe, immediately, in Spain and France and Italy, in particular, the Romance language countries, they went nuts over what I do. And I've always been able to go over there and tour since the mid-'80s. And I love it. Uh, it's, it's a great place. Spain is a great place to be sort of famous. <laughs> it's it's, it's an it's really awesome. <laughs> yeah, and they know how to have a fun time, you know, at a rock and roll show in Spain. So, was Interpretations recorded out in the desert? Where was it made? It was made in my apartment in Santa Monica, actually, where I do my radio show. Same equipment. I just uh, moved a few things out of the way, and I played everything on it, so I didn't have to bring a bunch of people in or amplifiers or you know a full drum kit or anything like that. I'm playing everything. Gotcha. I don't know if we've ever talked about this, but you did TV um, music for TV shows. I think if I'm right, Third Rock from the Sun and that '70s show. And so, I mean, the music, you know, during the scenes or in that links different scenes together. Uh, quickly, just tell me about a typical week doing doing that kind of work. Oh man, that was. Uh, I, w I kept penciling in a nervous breakdown that I could never put in ink. I got hot, you know, like I did the third rock from the sun uh, was a hit right out of the box. And I did the theme and all the music for that. And it was an unusual sounding show. It was really funny when I went in for the meeting, they said, we're looking for American rock and roll as if played by aliens. And we think you're already doing that. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, Thanks. I'm not sure. Because <laughs> I've, I've been hearing that kind of thing my whole career. Like, we love you, but if you could just be a little, you know, more centered. If you could come in toward the center a little more, we'd know how to market you, you know? Yeah. And it's ironic that mainstream network television, NBC, allowed me to be as weird as I wanted, but the record business wouldn't. You know, it was, it was very, very uh, 
uh, very ironic. And uh, that show became a hit, and then the same creators of that show created that 70s show. And then, so then I was doing two shows at the same time, and then I had an agent I got signed to CAA, and they said, take as many as you can. So at one point, I think I was doing three or four shows at the same time. <laughs> uh, and wow. I had a whole... I, I, I built a studio and I had a whole team of people. Ben Vaughn Productions was a real thing. And and I never liked it. I never liked having that much um, responsibility and power. And the status of it never really, I never really connected with uh, Hollywood as something that, it was, it was never anything I aspired to. All I ever wanted to do was stop working a day job and become like a middle class musician who makes money from music that was as big as i dreamed ever and to hit hollywood and have all this stuff happen was not part of my dream so i, I was always off to the side of it i loved doing it It was great it was really cool to uh watch productions happen you know to watch rehearsals and um, watch scenery being built electricians coming in actors rehearsing their lines and uh you know, the whole thing, post-production, I learned a lot, and I loved it. I loved it. But I always felt like a guy who was visiting that world. You know, I never really, I'm, I'm just not the right person to live and breathe Hollywood, you know. doesn't appeal to me that much. I, I would assume that after years of whatever, making, you know, 50 bucks or gas money or, you know, whatever, that that steady influx of pretty good money changed your life in some way. I mean, I assume you bought your house, etc., must have been nice. It completely changed my life. Yeah, I finally got paid for something. <laughs> that was an, that was an unusual feeling. I had to get used to it, you know. <laughs> and uh, I was working so much, you know. I I had poverty down. You know, I was uh, I was po I was poor until I was in my forties. I mean, really, like really poor in order to do my music. And you know, and I had child support and stuff. You know, I was a responsible adult. And when uh, I had poverty down, so so when the money rolled in, I didn't see really any reason to change my lifestyle because of it. Because I, I, I liked the way I was living. I learned, I, you know, I, uh, I buy my clothes at thrift stores. You know, I buy used records, and books. <laughs> I was driving a Rambler. I didn't see why that should change. <laughs> so um, when the money rolled in, I didn't really spend it, and that's what I'm living on now. So it's it's uh, it really was a great a great thing to happen for me. Yeah, I'll bet. Uh, you've produced all kinds of cool legacy artists, you know, mostly back at a time when there was money around to do those kind of cool projects. Uh, but just a hypothetical question. If you could pick somebody, living or dead, to, you know, make one more last record with, uh, somebody you think you're, you could have really brought something out of, who would it be? Brenda Lee. Hmm. She's still around, too, isn't she? Yeah, I know. And uh, a legacy record needs to be made on her. Uh, she's still performing. You get the right material and the right musicians and the right studio and, and, and gain her trust, and you've got a great record. Whether it's me doing it or someone else, that record, I think that record needs to be made. Yeah, boy, I, I, t I totally agree. I want to remind folks that uh, Ben has been on the show a couple other times in July of 2014, along with Tom Doyle, a guy who wrote a book about Paul McCartney, and in April of 2011 uh, with you and a photographer, Tom Hearn. Uh, both of those archives are over at wfmu.org slash Michael, and we sort of talk in both of those more generally about uh, 
about Ben's life and I guess whatever projects you were working on at those times. But if you want more of the backstory, uh, go over to the archives and and check that stuff out. Uh, the new record is called Interpretations. Ben Vaughn org is the website. Could you play one more short one for us? Can you do something for us one more since you're set up? Yeah, I'm kind of itching to do this one, actually, because it's custom made, I think, for your audience. As a matter of fact, your audience may be the only audience to really ever be able to appreciate this tune. <laughs> it's a, wow. It's a, song, it's a song inspired by an album cover, which I think is a genre that I just invented, maybe. The title is The Paragons Meet the Jesters. All right, Ben Vaughn, ladies and gentlemen. Little finger snapping there. When the paragons meet the jesters on a cold and rainy night. When the paragons meet the jesters, there'll be no police in sight. When the paragons meet the jesters, let me put it to you straight. When the paragons meet the jesters, you better not stay out late. When they go when the paragons meet the jesters, it won't be no friendly fight. When the paragons meet the jesters, it won't matter who's wrong or right. When the paragons meet the jesters, let me put it to you, kid. If you want to live, you better stay hid under that trash can lid. When they go When the paragons meet the jesters in an alley cold and dark. When the paragons meet the jesters, no telling what they might start. When the paragons meet the jesters under a neon moon, you better make some room, cause pretty soon there'll be nothing nobody can do. When they go when the Paragon, do you own that album, Ben? Oh, yeah. It was a big part of my childhood. Uh, my uncle was a rock and roll fanatic, and he, he gave me a copy of the Paragon's Meet the Jesters when I was probably six or seven or eight years old, and I had it on my wall. You know, it looks like a gang fight is about ready to erupt <laughs> on that cover, and I always imagine, and the music on it is, doesn't sound like juvenile delinquent music. As a matter of fact, it's a fantastic record. The Paragon's and the Jesters are not your standard doo-wop. It's very ethereal and, and really advanced vocal harmony, both of those groups. Not cliched at all. And, uh, but the cover, I was, I was, I've been obsessed with that cover forever. And if you, if you see it, your listeners are probably familiar with it. I'm sure they are. Um, but if you're not, Google image the Paragons Meet the Jesters and you'll see what I mean. It's, like, it's sort of like a West Side story thing about the breakout mm. so this new record interpretation just came out yesterday and uh what i mean what is the state of music business for ben vaughn you i mean you're a pretty prolific guy are, do you worry about you know are you spending lots of time trying to you know get folks 
knowing that this record exists, or, or do you just move on? What's your, how do you deal with it? I don't worry about anything anymore. Uh, <laughs> I really don't. Um, uh, I, I'm, uh, I, I define what I do now as post-career, you know, and I've never been happier because it's post-career. A lot of the worries and anxieties and concerns that people put in your head, like, you know, I got a record deal in the 80s and, and a lot of bad ideas were suggested to me and, and I was pushed into situations like anyone with a record deal is. You got to get on stage even when you don't want to because it's good exposure. You know, you got to do this, you got to do that. None of that exists in my life anymore. And putting out a record, getting on stage, none of it is connected to a business plan or any kind of marketing strategy at all now. And uh, I love making music. I love putting it out. And, you know, I do a few things here and there to push it to make sure people are aware of it. But beyond that, I, I really don't, um, I definitely do not stress out about it. That's for sure. Yeah, that, I think that's kind of apparent when you kind of just look at your whole, uh, the whole Ben Vaughn machine and how it works or doesn't work. Post-career, I, I think that's it. That's something I'm going to have to think about. I may be post-career <laughs> myself, though, but not by choice. Uh, I want to play this song from this EP. It's called Crying, Laughing, Loving, Lying. This is one of the ones I had known the other version of, but it was in the foggy back corner of my mind. Do you remember how how you first heard this one? Well, this is interesting because I didn't I, I didn't become aware of it until now, actually, about a year ago. And, this, you know, it, this it's ironic because... You know, I'm a record collector, I'm a historian and, and kind of an amateur musicologist, and I have like a, almost like a photographic memory of every record I've ever heard or, or seen the album cover of. And I discovered this one through the YouTube algorithm. Ah. I was humbled. I was humbled. <laughs> <laughs> they found me, they sent it to me, said, you might like this. And I clicked on it and I was like, oh my God, this is a great song, a really great song because... The, you know, like the fourth verse is, is killer. You know, he's lying, to, he's lying to you and he's lying to himself. So the first three verses, he just, you know, is lying. And then he tells you he's lying. I, I, it, it blew my mind. It's such <laughs> a great song. Such a great song. All right. Uh, let's hear it now. Ben Vaughn, thank you for joining us once again. Don't forget, folks can check out uh, the archives for two more chats with Ben and visit benvaughn.org for information about interpretations and whatever else... Uh, He's into his in post-career mode. Uh, thanks, Ben, so much. <laughs> you are welcome. I, I loved it. Thank you.
Lovin' ain't never done me no good, no how, no how, that's why I can't love you now That's why I can't love you now Mr. Ben Vaughn from uh, the brand new EP called Interpretations, just released yesterday, and that was Crying, Laughing, Loving, Lying. You can get uh, information over at benvaughn.org, B-E-N-V-A-U-G-H-N.org. Thanks, Ben. And uh, thanks to Greg from Zone 5 for filling in for me last week. I'll be back next week right here. And uh, Rex is back. He is next, so stay tuned uh, for more number one summer fun from the great Rex. Thanks, Ben Vaughn, and uh, we'll talk. We'll see you next week, folks. <laughs> if I get the feeling you've been cheated, good night. This is WFMU Storms, WMFU Mount Hope, New York City, and Rockland County, 91.9 FM and online over at WFMU.org.